This episode is brought to you by Revel Snacks, R-E-V-O-L-S-N-A-X. Now, I have to say, I personally ventured down the keto path mid-2019 and really struggled initially. I felt like I was missing out on the little joys in life and couldn't enjoy any snacks or desserts. Then I came across Rebel Snacks and haven't looked back. They are by far the most delicious health food product I've ever come across. I mentioned that I'm a fan of keto, but these are the perfect option for paleo, vegan, or just overall healthy lifestyles. I try and eat as clean as possible, and these snacks are incredibly clean. It's a company that truly cares about their ingredients, uses organic when possible, and is mindful of our on-the-go lifestyles. Check out Rebel Snacks today and use code MUSICTHEORY10, M-U-S-I-C-T-H-E-O-R-Y-10 for 10% off your first order. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, Rhythm Section, to another episode of the Music and Theory Podcast. As always, I'm Mike, joined by Steve. Yeah. And we are back. And today we're taking, you know, a little fun here. We're gonna talk a little bit about rhythm guitar players. But before we get to all that, we gotta do our typical around the horn, because it has been forever. And you know, hopefully you all had an opportunity to listen in to our MT exclusive with Chris Rossi last go around from Revoiced. Uh, you'll see later once we get to our versus segment today that is largely inspired by the conversation we had with him. But also, if you wouldn't mind, take a minute and like and subscribe this podcast because it's a hell of a good podcast and you should be Agreed. sharing it with your friends. Agreed. So, Steve, let's, let's give him something to get excited about. What have you been playing? What have you been listening to? Michael, my uh, my coronavirus quarantine mate oh, here. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, but yep. uh, ho- hopefully all of our listeners, aka the rhythm section, are well Agreed. out there Agreed. and uh, able to listen, as it were. We will get you through this. Never fear. Um, yeah, I have, dude. I, I know everyone, including people who are going to send us emails on this, mm-hmm. are going to be shocked. <laughs> but I listened to the Gigaton album by Pearl Jam. It's I, fucking good. That's awesome. It's I, good. I still haven't listened to the whole thing. It's, it's good, dude. I got no. Nah, there's there's really good tracks. I was talking to my buddy Joe. He's he's like Pearl Jam fan number one, and if he's not number one, it's like number one point one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's not even two. It's like yep. right after the first guy. Then you got my buddy, and um, Love it. it's really good. It's really good. The vocals are good. The songwriting is good. Um, I, I have to say, like, almost cover to cover, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? Dance of the Clairvoyance? That's like, yep. that's such a departure on even on that album. I was going to ask you, are the other songs like that no. too or no? Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool that they did that because they probably were doing that to throw you a little bit, mm-hmm. which, which I totally, which I totally get. But anyway, suffice it to say, it's good. Um, you know, I have been listening to a lot of gypsy jazz. You, you laugh at me when I say stuff I, like this. I, Cause you're like, you're way to too smile right now. Gypsy jazz. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't, but why, like why, you know, you know anyway, it's one it, of those genres that I probably only came across because we're friends. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel like I need to learn it too, but it's, uh, yeah. Here's what I'll say. So I was watching something by this guy, Paul Davids, you know, Paul oh, Davids. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So he's on YouTube. The guy is brilliant, right? Yeah, and I good. think he's uh, he's Dutch, no? And um, his guitar classes are, are great. And he talks about 
one of the things that happens to everybody if they're a guitar player is they plateau. Mm. So gypsy jazz, and it's really the style of this fellow Django Reinhardt or Django Reinhardt, however you Reinhardt, it's so hard to play properly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's very intense in terms of um, knowledge of the fretboard and music theory, but they it's played in a way that doesn't make you think like that. Like sonically, like in your brain, it just sounds lovely. It's 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 really cool. What's it largely predicated on? Uh, like, believe it, it distinct? the use of the sixth mm. instead of the seventh. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear a lot of minor six there, a lot of, it was big. There's not really a lot of drums. It's like, boom, chick, boom, chick, like that sort of stuff is mm. very prevalent. There's use of an accordion sometimes. Um, the guitar itself is very unique. It's got, it's, um, it's called a manouche guitar. It projects like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy picks were really used. Anyway, it's, it's really cool. And this fellow, John Jorgensen is, um, is the fellow I listen to, but there's a lot like Birelli Lagrane and, um, and other, and other players are just absolutely brilliant. But I rounded that out because I think since then, John Frusciante under his alias Trick Finger, um, has released this album, um, Look Down, See Us. And it's on YouTube and all these things. And it's like, it's like an EDM mm-hmm. album. And he has a lot of those apparently under under the the uh, the label Trick Finger. Trick it's Finger. really good. It's really good. And I don't know. I I know you don't necessarily share my love of EDM, but uh, <laughs> not EDM, but, but for Shante. So that you know that'll get me halfway there. You know what though? If somebody played it for you and didn't say it was him, you wouldn't know it was him because yeah. it's such a completely different genre. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, that would be like if Bono went to go play like the harp. Like you wouldn't know it was Bono, you know what I'm saying? You're yeah. like, Classically you know, trained harp player, of course. And um, and to round it out, and Elisa or Elzuck, as it were, is probably going to make fun of us because we can't get through an episode without talking I about the chili peppers. I was just thinking it. I was thinking it. You know, check the box. We got the chili peppers in this one. But I have been learning a lot of Frusciante because I, Mike, during this pandemic, I bought a new guitar, which is just insane. Yes, but I did, and it, it's. It's a, it's a, for, for our rhythm section, who knows, it's a 59 custom shop strat and it's, it's just, it's almost embarrassing for me to talk about it, but you know, you hear about this and I I work with these people in 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 the music zoo in a nearby town. They gave me an unbelievable deal. So shout out to the music zoo, by the way. So I did that. But as a result, because Frashante for the most part plays the strat, I've learned a lot of chili pep tunes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, just before this, we were playing I Could Have Lied, and I learned that solo. And it's way harder than you would have, you know, than you would think, given yep. the speed and all these things. So between learning gypsy jazz and pushing myself there and, and embarrassing myself, um, I've been playing some Red Hot Chili Pep tunes like Mellowship, Slinky, in B major. And the funny part about that title is what, Mike? It's not in the key of B major, <laughs> which is even better. Um, anyway, and, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the tune is brilliant. Yep. Um, by the way, how did Soul to Squeeze get cut from that album yeah. and put on a B side? Oh yeah, you got to look back and say, "Are you kidding?" Right? So it's one of those weird songs. Believe it or not, uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance, Tom Petty, is similar in, in the way that you can only find it. Like the, the Tom Petty song, you can only find that on the Greatest Hits album, or at least when it first came out. And then, believe it or not, guess where Soul to Squeeze was first uh, available. 
Oh, come on. The, the Conehead the soundtrack. The Conehead soundtrack. Of all you places. tried to throw that one by me, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, I can right? look at you right now. Yeah. Songs like that, it's incredible. They, they become these, uh, you know, cult classics and fan favorites. But It's yeah. so good. The song is so good. But that's what I've been doing, man. How about yourself? Uh, let's see. So I also uh, was able to get a new guitar. Now, this was a little while ago because we're, we're dated at this point. We didn't get an opportunity to do our Around the Horn uh, during the M&T exclusive last go around. But uh, I was actually able to finally save up and get myself a proper Fender Strat. Woo! And uh, yeah, it's, thank you. Thank you. It's been a the long time coming. goes wild. And I look across, you know, the guitars that I do have, some of which are Mexican made. Nothing wrong with that. Some of which are... Uh, Mike made, so I made totally it myself, you know, so yep. nothing wrong with that. Mike made, but the, the Fender Strat, it's incredible. Once I, uh, and it's 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 the new version of the American Standard, um, which uh, the name is slipping my mind for some reason at the moment. Maybe the professional now, the new one. Yeah, I can't recall. So. Something along those lines. Oh, they change the models the every like, other year. It's, come but on. It's, it's that one. And when I played it, sounded noticeably different than the rest of my guitars just the setup alone so clean uh candy apple red and uh rosewood fretboard uh let's see what else i'm gonna tell you this right now for your own good you're going down a bad road it's a bad it's a it's a rabbit hole you're going you're going down the stevie p route right now this is not good just telling you i'm just telling you now be aware of it (laughs) now I am finding too, and maybe this is just because it's new, but I am picking that one up much more than any other guitar I own, maybe with the exception of the Taylor. I, I still play my Taylor quite a bit. I was playing that about an hour ago, uh, working on some Isbell. Um, but with with the actual proper Strat, what it also allowed me to do was I was able to take my Frankenstrat, which you know yeah. I had built, and <laughs> tune that puppy down a half step. So now... I have uh, essentially mm-hmm. a Strat tuned down a half step for my, you know, SRV and some Hendrix. Your Hendrix stuff, and then yeah. I can grab the other Strat now if I want to do some John Mayer or or some, you know, who knows, whatever else <laughs> Not, is out Knopfler there. Knopfler or yeah, whatever. Yeah, some Frusciante, right? Some Pearl Jam. Frusciante. Yeah, some, yeah. uh, some Chili Peppers and, you know, all that good stuff. No, Pearl Jam too. McCready plays Yeah, one. McCready plays a Strat as well, I believe. So... So anyway, that's pretty Gilmore. cool. Gilmore, good for you, man. Well done. But uh, but yeah, Congrats. like I said, just playing some Isbell and uh, probably too much of it these days. But I, I don't know why. I know he's got a new album coming out. I've heard some new songs. And I'm also supposed to be going to see him in June in New York City. That's probably not going to be happening at this point. I wish you luck, man. So man. I feel like I'm probably just going through a period where it's like, hey, dive in because you're probably only going to hear it on the radio for a little while right now. For a while, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah so be it, though. What are you going to do, right? And, uh, and, you know, I think what's also been pretty interesting lately is how many musicians have been performing via the web. Right. And I think that's great during this period where people can't get out and be together. We're seeing so many great musicians uh, actually performing. You know, Paul Simon, I saw him the other day doing some work. I saw uh, Jack Johnson and Eddie Vedder playing earlier. uh, Yeah, Dave did one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so cool. And I love these guys are doing it and it's free and they're just putting songs out there. And, you know, it's it's typically nothing new. It's all their old music. But that's great. Why not? That's awesome. Though. Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, and I'll give them another plug, but the the band we had on for our first M&T exclusive, The Young Fables, they've done now a few concerts uh, virtually where you can log in, you can actually interact with them. It's kind of cool. 
Are they so, playing together or are they yeah, playing? Yeah, they're, oh, they're that's playing cool. Together. Well, because, you know, they're, they're held up in the same place. So for them, it works out all right. You know, it, it's, it's true when you think about it. For a lot of these bands who don't live together, how much more challenging it is trying to do oh, these yeah. things via Zoom or what have you. But, you know, uh, like, for example, Isbell and Amanda Shires, his wife, obviously live together so they can put on a pretty nice show. But it's really challenging when you're doing all these Zoom calls, what have you. But yeah, interesting times, my man. Word. All right. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about rhythm guitar players. Now, on previous sessions here, we've talked about, you know, lead guitar. We've talked about solos. Uh, we've talked about rhythm sections uh, more generally. So I wouldn't be surprised if some similar names come up today. But I think there are some very specific nuances that we want to get into for rhythm guitar players. What makes a great one? What are some of our favorite that we listen to? And before we get started, Steve, uh, I want to read to you a quick quote I found from Tim Pierce, who, if you guys don't know him, great session guitarist. People name check him all the time. Uh, he's been around for years, played with everyone. And uh, again, great session guitar player. So he says, you know, Dynamics, confidence, and authority are what make a great rhythm guitar player. Also, steady rhythm on things like eighth notes uh, and almost percussive and consistency is key. So that's what Tim Pierce tells us about rhythm guitar players. Steve, what do you think about that? you agree with it? And if so, why don't you get us started with some of the names you want to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it is an overlooked member of the band. Because usually it's the guy in the front or gal in the front just tearing it up. And it's not always the person in the back holding it down. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very difficult to play rhythm the right way. I mean, solos, of course, are, are very difficult and technically challenging. But if you were, if as a rhythm guitar player, you're not able to lock into the proper rhythm section, mm -hmm. which is to say the bass and the drums, it just sounds off. So it's a huge deal. So for me, top of the list number one with a bullet is Malcolm Young from ACDC. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not even, a, it's not even a question. So funny. He came up on every list ever, right? I mean, he, he is probably when you think of rhythm guitar players in the most traditional sense, that's the he, guy. And he's, but the thing about him is they were so not, he was so not flash. Mm -hmm. You had Bon Scott and then Brian Johnson later on. Angus is all over the freaking stage, scissor kicking and spinning on the floor and dressed in a schoolboy outfit. And he's tearing up solos, but Malcolm Young is in the back going like, bow, bow, bow. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. we talked about this. Like, you come in with um, Back in Black. Yep. If you're going to make those three chords iconic, like, you had be better. You had you had better be ready to play, like, boom. Like, or, um, you know, it's, uh, he's just so good. He really is. So, uh, he backed up Angus Young. That's, that's my my number one guy. So I don't know who, you know, uh, who you get started with. With, my... with Malcolm Young, I want to stay on that for just a second here. Go. Uh, because a couple things that I found very interesting as we went through this exercise, um, they are probably the quintessential band that has a true lead and a true rhythm guitar player. Uh, you know, cause when you think about bands like the Beatles, for example, right? Uh, there are songs where John Lennon's going to play lead and Harrison will play rhythm and then vice versa. And I think a lot of that may come down to their own songwriting and their ability and influence on the song. And also who's singing too, because a lot of times singers will be the rhythm guitar player because they kind of have to, uh, unless they're that capable and that talented, but it's hard to come by. But in ACDC, 
that band really had it figured out and I think their ability to be dynamic and play off of one another it almost came across sometimes like there were two lead guitars because the rhythm section in totality I think was keeping pace and beat so well so uh, just kind of furthering your points there yeah you know it's funny I would have you could consider you could consider Lennon a rhythm guitar player right and yeah. a lot of people do. I yeah. didn't put him on my list. Spoiler no, same alert. here, same here. But, but you know, the funny thing about um, Harrison mm-hmm. is that he was the lead guy, for sure. Like sure. he played like ninety percent of the leads, right? Sure. But anyway, go ahead. So why don't kick it off, Mike? Keep going. Um, okay. So I am going to take us, and I'm also, as always, I've kind of broken up my list into a couple of different segments here. Naturally. Uh, the first way I want to think about this is those who are complementary, and then the second is the one-man band, uh, or one-person band, I should say. Uh, so in terms of complementary, it's kind of like the Malcolm and Angus, right? We had two people yeah. working off of one another. Now, the difference being with the rest of my list here is that there's a lot of lead singing involved, but... It doesn't detract from that ability of the rhythm guitar player. So the first one is Tom Petty. Oh, and... you stole mine, you bastard. <laughs> All right, good for you. you no, know, he's awesome. Well, I, I actually uh, got into Mike Campbell years yeah, ago, who's the lead guitar player with the Heartbreakers. Yep. And you know, you could listen to Petty's solo work, and in his solo work, he, he even even in his solo work, usually the Heartbreakers are somewhere to be found, sprinkled across. But uh, he's he can play lead very well and he can play rhythm very well so he can kind of be dynamic and do either or but then he's also singing and he adds that extra element to each of his songs and what what i have found is that where he's most um valuable i think and where the songs are most pleasing is where he is keeping pace via rhythm singing and you can actually take take notice of the chord changes as they're passing while he's singing. And then Mike Campbell is over there on the side playing lead and they're complimenting each other just extremely well. There's so many songs you could go through the list. It's, it's really almost every famous song you've ever heard by Tom Petty, obviously in the heartbreakers, but by and large, I think Tom Petty has a very unique way of keeping rhythm while being extremely melodic with his singing over the chord, uh, passing chord changes. Steve, what do you think? I totally agree because I had him on my list as well. <laughs> and um, he was he's fabulous, dude. It's it's again, you've got like uh, into the great wide open. You got like da da da. It's three chords, mm-hmm. but he makes it sound unbelievably melodic. Um, he does great work in like Angel Dream. You know what I mean? Like anything from the She's the One soundtrack. Like he he's fabulous. There's there's no two ways about it. I think, um, you know, with Petty too, and a lot of people take note of this when they talk about his greatness, is how when he was in the songwriting process, how quickly he was able to get to the chorus and how important that is in songs. And a lot of people would argue, well, that makes a pop song. And it's like, well, so what? You know, maybe he was one of the greatest pop musicians of all time. But getting to the chorus quickly in your writing ability, but keeping it entertaining I think is very unique and challenging for a lot of musicians to do. And Tom Petty did it probably better than most. Agreed. Yeah. All right. What do you got next, Stevie? Dude, it's funny. You know what's weird? I'm looking at my list 
I have a lot of metal people on here. Good for you. Not like hardcore, but mm-hmm. like metal, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going James Hetfield from Metallica. The guy is an absolute titan. I was going to ask and, you about that one. I left oh, him off. I left him off. But dude, he's got. You know the thing is with it him because of all is the downstrokes. He, is that what? It is that. But no, <laughs> the first time I heard the song "Battery," where it's yeah. like bow, 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 you're like, wait a minute, that's a dude playing the guitar. What's going on? Um, it it's so good. He's he's awesome, and it's funny because everything's in E. I don't think he can read music, but the guy just writes effing amazing songs. Yep. And he backs up Kirk Hammett. He does play some leads every once in a while. But, dude, he uh, – I, I mean, he mastered – like, think about all these songs the guy mm. wrote and plays and sings. Okay, there's a huge difference. You said it really well. It's one thing if a person can play rhythm. But if the person's playing rhythm and singing, they get double, you know, accolades in my opinion. So, Hetfield was is just – he. Sh- I mean, he could – even he would probably say Malcolm Young should be at the top of the list, so mm-hmm. that's why I put Malcolm at the top. But James Hetfield is a very close second, in my opinion. Guy's, you, a, guy's amazing. Do you find um, you you'd know this better than I? But are there any significant differences in styles of guitars that you think a rhythm guitar player should own or be playing? That's a tough one. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if you really want these big, because amplification nowadays can do so much, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, these a lot of people would play hollow bodies and things like that. But no, I mean, I've seen people play rhythm on a Paul. I've seen people play rhythm on a telly. It, it depends really on what the song needs, mm-hmm. the style you're playing, you know? Um, so, no, I don't, I, I think it's more the genre and the song that will determine what type of guitar you play rather than True. you know what i'm trying to say True. than like uh, than than just being rhythm generally so mm-hmm. yeah i like that okay um so i'm gonna bounce around a little bit here Do and it. instead of going with a complimentary artist i'm gonna go with a one person band artist and uh gotta go hendrix wow that's a bold call i gotta go hendrix know, and here's here's my His take solo on it. stuff, or because what he was doing with um, like the Isleys and stuff, or I, both. No, I'm gonna go with the solo stuff, and people are gonna hear me, and you know they're gonna say, "What? What do you mean? How could that be a rhythm guitar player? I don't get it." Yeah, you're and gonna take a lot of flack for that. I one. challenge yeah. you to listen to any Jimi Hendrix and not feel the beat, not tap your foot, not uh, get into the actual rhythmic sounds that are taking place. And I think it's because of all the embellishments on when he would play, right? And these are the things we talk about with Frusciante all the time and McCready, et cetera, and all the other strap yeah, players. Him, yeah. But those embellishments give you uh, this little bit of extra and it becomes a like rhythmic flair as you're playing. So as he's playing, um, you know, Foxy Lady, Crosstown Traffic, right? All these, all these different songs. Um, <laughs> You can you can hear almost like an entire rhythm section baked into uh, the fretboard as he's cooking along, and you know I've listened to enough Hendrix to hear uh, a lot of his his solos, and you know a lot of times they can get really out there, um, but I think for the most part his guitar playing, at least while he's singing, is relatively controlled. Uh, while he's, when he stops singing, I think is when it actually gets a little bit too far out there, but while he's singing, I think it actually helps control the rhythm a little bit too. Uh, the wind cries Mary is a great, great example, right? 
while he's going through those chord progressions in those in the song and he's singing you can actually hear kind of the melodic overlay of the rhythm playing and it sounds like multiple instruments while he's playing guitar um but i don't know what, what's your take on hendrix it's tough i want to i want to hate it and i and i deliberately omitted him and here's why yep um i think he plays a type of guitar that spawned a generation of guitar players i had a hard time calling him a rhythm guitar player however what you're saying completely makes sense because it's like lead and rhythm together. Yeah, exactly. The two songs that do it for me are Little Wing and Castles Made of Sand. Yeah, sure. Because those two, you're like, there's 48 guitar players. Right. <laughs> and Prashante actually says that. He's like, I was listening to Hendrix and then I saw him play. I think he he couldn't have seen him, I don't think. No, he wouldn't have been. But I think he's he saw somebody cover him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how is that one person – playing the Hendrix part like isn't that like five people and that's apparently what blew his mind so I will I will give you that it sounds like it's a lot of guitars Mm -hmm. does he fit the mold of like rhythm no but I think yours is definitely an appropriate sort of way to like classify what he's doing you know what I mean so can I give you another one that goes hand in hand with that and and this is why I need your take on it because I also have Stevie Ray Vaughan here and in the same vein as Hendrix, because when I listen to Pride and Joy, I mean, it is all rhythm all day and somehow merging those two worlds. So like, what's your view on a Stevie Ray Vaughan in conjunction? Because he's obviously a Hendrix disciple, a lot, of, a lot of the same mannerisms. But I think in my list, like when I hear Pride and Joy, I mean, that's a hell of a rhythm section essentially coming from one guitar. It is, you know, and that's not his, right? Um uh, and and the funny thing about that is like yeah I mean uh, that's tough it's so tough because they're both in trios and they're both they both almost had to play both mm. otherwise it would sound too naked if they just relied like so if Hendrix relies just on Noel Redding mm-hmm. and Steve Ray Vaughan just relies on Tommy Shannon I don't I, I think it's I think it's good it's not great yeah you know what I'm saying. And Hendrix was the was the template for that. So right. yeah, th- those are those are tough, but I'll give them. I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you. Give me a couple. Uh, dude, I'm going Paul Stanley from Kiss. Ooh, yeah, right. everyone's laughing nice. and they're thinking about you know <laughs> role models and like Kiss. Paul Stanley's tired of Kiss. But but all but think about it. Like think about those songs. Yeah. Is is there a moment when you're not hearing some it's sort true. of strong backing guitar? The guy's a beast. He backed yeah. it up ace freely. Yeah, you're right. Where it's like love gun. <laughs> like it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but also you know like you know um, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, right? Like rock and roll on art party every day. Like there's a lot going on there. Um, I'll give you one after that. That's mm. probably I got to jump. I'm going to jump over, over the transom here. Now, while there were two guitar players in this band, he probably was considered lead, but like he revolutionized guitar. I'm going Keith Richards, dude. Okay, I intentionally left him off, but I'm glad you put him on so we could talk about it here. Give me, He's give me a your take. freaking animal. Give me, give me your take on why though, because again. Right, they had a few guitar players uh, over the years, and yeah. what what do you think made Keith Richards the rhythm player? Was it because Open G lends itself more to rhythm? How's he playing solo? Really, I mean, I think he was the songwriter. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is in an open tuning. Uh, 
maybe with a capo. He only plays with five strings. That mm-hmm. generally leads me to believe he's not playing a lot of solos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, know from a ton of solos in, in Stones at, at all. Nah, though, right? like Sympathy for the Devil is the only real one mm-hmm. I can think of. Yeah, yeah, I never thought about that, but it's like, no, but like Wild Horses, um, they're almost Starbia, like a Angie, band. Yeah, Street, street Fight Man, like all of those. He's playing all of that, mm-hmm. and he's playing all, and he's writing amazing songs. I gotta go, Keith Richards. There's no way I could leave him off. You know, like people said, Townsend. Yeah, I'm not taking Townsend. I agree. I'm sorry, yeah, and maybe it's my aversion to the Who on some level, but mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Stones fan either. And there's no way I could deny Keith Richards. You know, I think in Open G tuning, the that hammer on that you do, you know, the Keith Richards isms, right, with uh, yeah, your bar middle the, and yeah. ring finger, essentially, he revolutionizes you a rhythmic sound. So I guess when you start to think about that and the how how prolific that is and how much you see it across his playing um it definitely could be thought of as as a rhythm so yeah i'll take it there's no way you can't in my like what is it then he's not playing it's lead just, it's just great guitar playing well that's fine that's uh, but like brown sugar it's like <laughs> like and then you know like it's it's so amazing anyway so I gave you two. I gave you Stanley and Richards. I got a. I got like ten more, but go ahead. Hit it. Um, you know what? My list is much shorter. Give me, give me another one that you got there. Okay, cool. I am gonna go here. Look. Okay, you ready? I'm gonna go Niles Rogers from Chic. Hmm. And you know, everybody wants to say, um, you know, you know, freak out or the free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he plays the guys. Guitar playing is so recognizable because it's so funky. Mm-hmm. It's on the Daft Punk album, Random Access Memories. Like he plays on the track Lucky. And you if you listen, you'll hear it. Where it's like, like the legend of the Phoenix. Like he's playing. I have a guitar here if you want me to play it. But like <laughs> um, that's all him. And he talks about how he wrote that tune with them mm-hmm. and how the two guys in the band wanted to hear him. The guy is an absolute titan of the guitar, plays a strat. And you know he's playing the strat, so yep. I gotta go. Nuts. So to me, that's that's more funked out. Um, now I'll give you here. You ready, Nancy Wilson? How's that? Did I steal that from you? No, but all right, I like it. I like it. She's uh, she's a titan, and she deserves her place. Yeah, in, you're right. Uh, it's it's like sometimes playing a drum on the guitar. It's uh, it's very that's true. Exactly what it is. You want me to keep going, or you got? Uh, no, I'll grab I'll grab one. Go ahead, now. take yours. All right, so I'm going to go back to complimentary artists. Uh, Do it. And again, someone who sings. Now, this artist, I think, we may not necessarily be talking about the greatest of all time, but I think people that grew a lot in the role. And then made it their own as well would be acceptable here. Uh, right. So I'm actually going to go Chris Cornell. And here's my thinking on Chris Cornell. So if it's memory serves one. correct, he started yeah. out as a drummer many, many years ago. So he did have like a good background in rhythm section type instruments to begin with. Um, when he was early on in Soundgarden, he wasn't playing guitar. And then over time, he had to take on some guitar responsibilities and I think, uh, what's, how do you pronounce Kim's last name? Kim Thale? 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 Yeah, Thale? Kim Thale, yeah. yeah. Kim Thale even has said, like, Chris Cornell was not the greatest guitar player when we first started. But then he grew. And as they actually split up the first time before getting back together, uh, when he branched out to do his solo work, I think that's the period where 
he almost was forced to become a significantly better guitar player so that when they actually came back together, it was like this rebirth. It was incredible. And when you think about, you know, because I I like I talked a little bit about it with Petty before, but I like to think about the ability to use your vocal progression over the chords to almost be more melodic in flow. And when you think about some of the notes that Chris Cornell was able to hit and still being able to keep the rhythm while, you know, Kim Thale was crushing it over top. That's remarkable. That's remarkable because, I mean, personally, I can't even sing on my own, period, let alone play a guitar while singing. And for someone like Chris Cornell to be able to do that, I think is just incredible. And again, the journey he went on, where he was, how he came back around, and obviously passed, but right up to the end there, I mean, he was a very talented guitar player and someone who I think could could hold rhythm with the best of them at the time. What do you think, Steve? I like it. I wouldn't. Have, I didn't put him on. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's really remarkable about him is he played in these unbelievably complicated tunings. Um, I don't know how he how he arrived at them, or how he discovered them, or created them, or whatever happened. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you that. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I would not have thought of him that way but you you make an unbelievably strong try case to for go it, outside so. the box a little bit that's a good one yeah that's a good one there you go um i'm gonna hit you with an outside the box one i'm gonna go chuck berry how do you like that one i love it i had him on here did you really as one as one of my final one man bands because He's, i agree yeah, he could do everything he could do everything and he was the listen he he does not get enough credit for guitar playing and like Ted Nugent, who you wouldn't expect to necessarily name check Chuck Berry all the time, just given what he, (laughs) the type of music he wrote, Mm -hmm. he does it all the time. He's like for guitar players, go out and learn every Chuck Berry song right now. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll do that before he shoots me with a crossbow, you know, something like that. So Chuck Berry, I'm going to say that I'm going to mix it up here. I'm going to go, um, Bob Weir. From the Grateful Ooh, Dead. Nice. Good one. He backed up Jerry Garcia for right. decades. That's and he one. doesn't get he he was again back he was in the back. He could sing, mm-hmm. didn't really play a lot of leads, but played some really and he played it over really complicated stuff. That's a good pick. You know, I always say like once you're in a band with a keyboard player, it's no longer about like the key of E and the key of A. Everyone's like, How about like E flat minor? A guitar player is like, Are you effing kidding me? Right? Like I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so I got those two. Um, I'll give you one more, Mike, and then because I still got a few more after that. I'm gonna take Darren Malakian from System of a Down. Wow. There there was a point where all I did was listen to Mesmerize by System of a Down. <laughs> and his ability, um, I think they're of Armenian descent, and yep. I think a lot of this harmonic minor plays into it, mm. and they put it in the music, and it's unbelievable. He, he can sing. He plays crazy fast stuff. It's crazy complicated stuff, but at the same time, it's really melodic. He he'll do a lot of like vocal mimicking on the solos. So I think this guy he, he they don't get really checked enough um, in terms of a band, but he he definitely deserves to be mentioned. Just because you you made me remember this, and it was hilarious at the time. But years ago, pre kids, my wife and I were I, I think it was Vegas, um, and we thought we'd get tickets to a show. So so we wound up uh, getting tickets for something. I can't remember what, what the concert was at the time. But I look at the, the tickets for the opening act. 
Oh and it says Serge Tankian. And now I know really? who, now I know who this is, but my wife doesn't. However, she's familiar with system music and does not like it. You know, she's like It's heavy. Exactly. It's definitely so, heavy. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to see Serge. I'm not telling her. We're gonna see what happens when we get there. So sure enough, lights go black comes out on stage and just boom it's yeah. basically like system part two and she's uh. like what the f- <laughs> did we get tickets for and I, was like, I was like yeah just just stick it out just stick it out it'll be fine it'll be fine so it's good though the the vocals are good and yeah i mean look they play a lot of heavy politic and that's their want yep. and that's fine right but um Anyway, yeah, I got to give it to Darren Malacky. And so after that, Mike, I got four. So I don't know if you want to end together or you want to take yours and I'll close it out. I have one more and then I'll I'll leave it to you. Go. All right. Um, You know, I'll give you one and a half if that's all right. (laughs) Half. All right. So here's my my big one, though. Um, And I've I've brought her up before. I'm falling in love with her because I just think she's that incredible. But Susan Tedeschi. I knew you were going to say that. And it's just, you know, number one. so good. Yeah, You know, I was trying to think, the way I went about this was I also tried to think about really talented lead guitar players and how a lot of times a lead guitar player is great, but they're not doing it on their own. And you got to think about all the supporting cast members. And when you look at Susan Tedeschi and the body of work that she's compiled in such a very um, thoughtful way, Great blues musician, plays guitar, sings so beautifully. And when you have Derek Trucks playing slide guitar over there on the side, um, not many guitar players, I think, can complement a slide guitar very well because I think there's so many... uh, You need to be extremely versatile, I think is what it is. The versatility is, I think, what makes her so useful in that band, aside from obviously her ability to sing so well, she's a very talented guitar player. And when she is just keeping rhythm while he's all over there sliding away on the fretboard, it sounds beautiful. The harmonization is is second to none. You know, it's the type of stuff that we're going to talk about later when we get into some vocal harmony discussion for our verses today. But you can hear the vocal, the, the harmonization via the guitar itself. Um, Steve, what's your thoughts on that? Susan Tedeschi and Tedeschi trucks. It's so good. It's so good. She's awesome. I mean, made up mind is like a recent album. That's so good. I've seen them live. They're fabulous. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, more, more when she came out, like when they were in the almonds. Okay. Right. Like an almond show. And she was maybe they were playing locally or whatever it was. So yeah, she's, I mean, and she, she was the one who really got me into that first Bonnie Raitt album mm. uh which is bonnie right and she referenced that and i was like huh i haven't listened to that in a really really long time you go back and you're like oh my god it's so good no yeah. it's brilliant it's an absolutely brilliant <laughs> pick well done thank well you done. i'll give you i'll give you my half too and yeah. then, then we can call and it's really not a half i just i don't want to say i feel uh embarrassed for bringing it up but i bring up the freaking band all the time but i got to talk about jason isbell for a second <laughs> I know, I know, and and the rhythm section. No, is like, I'm not. Come I'm, on, not I'm only laughing because I'm laughing. I'm not making fun of you. Yeah, I, yeah. I get, I'm so hooked, and it's embarrassing. But here's why. Um, so you go back to first drive-by trucker days, and Isbell's doing almost all the lead work, but mixing it up periodically. And the guy can also play slide, so he himself has tons of versatility. He was singing on some songs at the time too. 
Then you take him flash forward into his solo act as well as the 400 unit. And in the early days of uh, his uh, 400 unit work, it's him doing everything. He is doing lead. He is doing rhythm. He is singing. He's playing slide when they got to play slide. And you say to yourself, how the F is this guy able to do this at this level? Then he grabs Sadler Vaden, which actually, you know, when you think about it, was able to take over a lot of the lead responsibilities that Isbell had previously. And it really freed him up vocally and freed him up to do more creative things uh, from a rhythm perspective. So it just goes to show how important it is to find out or find what you need to add to your band to make the whole stronger than the individual pieces because he was doing it all on his own but recognized that they could be even better if he found a really solid lead player to help complement that. And then, you know, I'll also say through Amanda Shires playing some fiddle, she's also able to accomplish a lot of lead too when you think about it. You can get very similar dynamics out of, uh, you know, string instrument like that relative to a slide guitar or something as well. So just had to put that out there, but can't, can't leave a cast without talking about Isabel a little more. No, apparently not. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with liking a band. I mean, I'm going to rush head like, that's you know, it. so no, I think Isabel's a good one. I, again, I wouldn't have picked it for that reason, but I think you made the case quite well. Thanks, um, I'm going to go Jim Root from Slipknot. How do you like Ooh, that one? Wow. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because again, it's a very metal, syncopated, staccato thing. You got to give people credit for that. Mm-hmm. Similar line, I'm going to go Scott Ian from Anthrax because Scott oh, Ian shit. took everything, not took, not ripped off. I don't want to yeah. say it like that. Really took influence from Malcolm Young. And he has Malcolm and Angus tattooed on his biceps. It's brilliant. So when wow. he does like the flex, you can see both of their faces. He's like, these guys <laughs> made such an impression on me. Um, I got two more and I'm going to close strong. But let yep. me give you the second to last or the penultimate as it were. I'm going to go Adam Jones from Tool. That guy awesome. deserves credit. He plays stuff sometimes that I'm like, how is he doing that? Mm, yep. And he's doing it with like a Les Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And black, like that's not. That's right. Yeah. And it's not with I think like um, usually not coffee. humbuckers. Right. Or it's like AMG pickups or something oh, yeah. like that. But but he deserves credit. Um and I'm going to end with James Patrick Page, a.k.a. Jimmy Page, and here's why. Because he's, wow. he's one guy in one band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played all the solos and stuff like that, too. But when it came to him playing like 10 Years Gone or That's the Way or um, Gallows Pole, any of those acoustic songs, uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, like – the guy could play rhythm like crazy too. Now you could split hairs and say like, is Iomi from Sabbath the same way? Maybe. And Ooh, interesting, right? That's a tough one, but I'm going to close with Jimmy Page because he's one guy in a band. He almost did everything live. I think in a very similar way to you say Hendrix was doing it. Yeah. Um, so that's it, man. That's my list. I'm going to close with Jimmy Page. That's a pretty strong close right there. We got through our rhythm players <laughs> and uh, rhythm section. Let us know because I, I think those are some pretty damn good picks. Agreed. Good picks. Uh, but now we got some work to do. So let's close this out and uh, we will get back into verses. <laughs> Tonight in Verses, 
we told you before we were going to talk about vocal harmonization. We, we covered it on our M&T exclusive. So today we're going to discuss CSNNY, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young versus the Eagles. <laughs> and we're taking it from the standpoint, again, of really that vocal harmonization. We could talk bands versus bands for a while, but really what we want to get into is who brought better harmony to the table. Uh, I'm taking the Eagles. Steve's got Crosby, uh, Stills, Nash & Young. Steve, why do you think their vocal harmonization was was a top? You know, I swear to God. So two things. Number one, when you said <laughs> we're taking I thought you were going to say we're taking it to the limit. And I was going to be like, Mike, I love That's you it. and hate you at the same time That's for making it. that quote. Yep. Um, or like, come on, man. I've had a long day and I hate <laughs> the fucking Eagles, man. Um, I thought you were going to give me one of those. Anyway, Should've. I just gave them both. Should've. Well done. See, here's the thing. Um, I, I don't think you can lose with either one of them. Mm. Mm-hmm. But they evolved, right? So Crosby, Stills was a three-man group, literally a three-man group, right? And it was it was David Crosby, Stephen Stills, and Graham Nash. Now they had a very similar approach to the Eagles because when the Eagles first came out, there's only four of them, mm-hmm. right? You had Henley Fry, Leden Meisner, and they still had really good vocal harmony. But when you got five people in a band, eventually, when you put in Felder. And all five people can sing. You kind of have an unfair advantage over a band that only has three guys. But that's why I'll take Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Because mm-hmm. one, when you include Young, I think he had the songwriting component yep. to add to it. His vocals, we've talked about this, are interesting. I don't yeah. know that they're great. Yep. But in a four-person context, maybe they're not as prevalent. Mm-hmm. So he could still sing. I think overall, I do think the harmonies based on that were a bit more interesting in Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I think the music overall was edgier. They weren't as like polished or soft or like easy listening mm. as the Eagles. Of course, they wrote some of that music, right? But I think yep. it was generational, right? They played Woodstock. Yeah. It was political. But I'm going to tell you right now, man, and I think you and I have said this. It's I listened to Helplessly Hopeling earlier today when I was out just you know on a run or whatever. It still to this day messes with me. I can't figure out what the hell they're doing. Like the the vocals are amazing. It's one guitar. It's just beautiful. Carry On comes on. Uh, it totally messes me up. Um, just a Song Before I Go, Woodstock, um, Help. All these songs are unbelievable. Even um, like Ohio is a big Neil Young song. Sure. And the way they sing it, like he plays it on its own and it's, it's awesome. But you put all four of them together and you're like, okay, that's legit. Mm-hmm. I think you start moving people around in the Eagles, right? So again, you start with the four of those guys. You got Henley Fried, Ledden, and Meisner. Now here's my here's my issue. Of all of these people, Henley has the best voice. Yeah, hands down. In my opinion, right? Yep. I mean, like we 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 laugh about witchy women all the time. You and me are like Raven Hair. <laughs> You're like, okay, you you won. You won yeah, with yeah. two words, right? Raven Hair, I'm done. <laughs> but then you include Felder. Awesome. You move Ledden out. You bring in Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um, you move out Meisner. You bring in Timothy B. Schmidt. You right. basically have the same band. Yep. But all five of those guys can sing. Seven Bridges Road might be one of the best vocal songs I've ever heard. Mm. And it, they used to use it as like a warm-up song. <laughs> Lion Eyes, same thing, Witchy Woman, right? But I still think with three people consistently, Neil Young aside, they just made it sound... The harmonies were such that the voices blended in a way mm-hmm. that it sounded bigger than just three people. Mm. 
So that's what I'll say one versus the other. And maybe I took, sorry if I, if I took the whole no, thing, no, no, that's, no. that's what I would do. So what are your thoughts? So, and you know what, when we were getting set up for this, I was also thinking about other groups where there's great vocal harmonization. We, we've talked about the Beatles before, uh, the Beach Boys. That was one that I was actually strongly considering throwing into this mix here. But then I spent some time with the Eagles and, you know, I've obviously been a huge Eagles fan for a very, very long time. Um, went into this interesting forum on the web in the dark web and found this guy I'll, I'll i'll give him a little name check here because he did some great homework tiago 3m so if that's your username con congrats man i'm gonna check you here uh he went through the whole eagles roster over the years and he actually kind of notated here different songs and uh, highs and lows for each of them in terms of notes and what they were able to hit and how he would classify each of them. So he's got Felder on here as a low tenor and he's got a few songs that he, where he's able to hit like a high falsetto uh, and he's got a, a, on winners and a note and low note, a C3 and road to forever. I don't know much about vocal harmony or what have you, but certain notes they're able to hit here. He's got Bernie Leiden uh, at a baritone, Timothy yeah, Schmidt Leiden, yeah. as a tenor, Joe Walsh uh, he is with a Timothy, drinking well, problem. <laughs> yeah, Timothy Schmidt is probably a high tenor. Yeah, he, he's a high tenor for sure. He's got uh, Randy Meisner as a high tenor. Yeah, and, you know, Meisner is probably the one who I think is the standout right after uh, Henley. And I'll talk about him in a minute because he's kind of an unsung hero. Glenn Fry, obviously, who did a lot of the uh, early singing until I think they realized that Don Henley was incredible. Way better. But uh, tremendous vocal range in Glenn Fry, And he's got him here as a high baritone and then Don Henley as a tenor or low tenor. But then they have all these different examples. And back to Randy Meisner for a second, or Meisner. Uh, that high falsetto, who's got G sharp five, I guess, here. I, I don't know exactly, again, how vocal harmonies work, but I think that's some type of gradient right take it to the and limit to the was limit his thing yeah that was his thing they used to close with that yeah. oh yeah and to be able to have somebody in your band who can do that and then if you have someone like don henley who can sing pretty much anything but as a low tenor uh you know one of these nights there's so many great great parts in one of these nights where i think the harmonies really take over um you know I looked across this list, and again, I think even Timothy B. Schmidt can come in and sing. Right after Meisner left, he came in, didn't really miss much of a beat. No, plugged right in. Yeah, that's why they got him. Yeah, insert yeah. and just keep working. Uh, and then you go to the early work with Glenn Fry, right? And Heartache Tonight and True Love. and Oh, his own, his solo stuff? Yeah, yeah. All, all that good stuff, too. It's yeah. just it's amazing that you had this compilation of vocal musicians who could also play their own physical instrument besides their voice and uh and then i compare him with crosby stills nash and young and i think what you get out of the eagles is a little bit more versatility uh they can go in different places that i think csn and y would struggle to get to and uh and they don't have don henley now that being said uh and i'll i'll bring it to isbel one more time just because he has said uh, repeatedly that David Crosby was one of, if not the primary influence over not only his songwriting, but his uh, the way he sings and brings vocal harmonization to the table. So again, you can't go wrong with either one. But. Now, songwriting-wise, I totally agree that um, 
you can't so Crosby they had a way they had a way more interesting way of structuring songs. Crosby played in some really interesting tunings, so did Stephen Stills. They could all play the guitar. As much as I like Randy Meisner and Timothy Schmidt, I think their voices were just high. I don't necessarily like just hearing their voices on their own, but I don't mind Graham Nash's on that's its true. own. Yeah, that's true. You know, because I think it has a bit, it's a bit fuller despite mm. hitting the same note. I agree with that. I wouldn't um, give it to the yeah. Schmidt album, you know, like that's. <laughs> no, and um, uh, I can't tell you why is his tune, right? Yep. Um, yeah, they would And that's like he literally that wrote that. That's right. Yes. Um, I think that was on the long run album. So anyway, no, look, I don't think you, you get, you get into it with either one of these bands, but I think songwriting, proper songwriting, I think CSNY has it on the Eagles, proper songwriting. Mm. Now songs that will live forever that are like immortal because they appeal to a lot more people. Mm. I got to think mostly it's the Eagles, but you know, teach your children. That song's going to go on forever. Yep. And that's a CSNY song. Everyone yep. knows that song, right? Mm hmm. Um, or our house, like those, those, those tunes are going to live forever, you know, and they're well-constructed songs. The harmony is good, you know, this type of thing. Um, but I don't look again, th this is like, what do you want? The A plus or the A plus <laughs> plus? It's like, they're both amazing bands. There's no, there's no, uh, debating it's, that. Right. It's funny when you think about CSNY being, you know, a super group too, which is something we've talked about on our previous episode. Yeah, they kind of are. Yeah. And you know, we're talking about the Eagles uh, and obviously focus primarily on vocal harmonization, but to even be able to take another band and chalk them up with supposedly a super group, it really speaks to the other band too and the talent that they had. Um, and I think, you know, from the standpoint of where a lot of the vocal harmonization came in, you know, my daughter actually earlier, I was talking about the episode as I always do getting ready here and she goes, oh, you, you got the Eagles. She goes, does Hotel California have good vocal harmonization? I said, well, you know, it's mostly Henley. She goes, yeah, what about the chorus, though? And I was like, ah, oh, it's a good point. You know, there's definitely some decent harmonization in that chorus. And obviously, nearly every Eagles song has it dropped in somewhere. And harmony? Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I agree and with sometimes that. it's sprinkled in, and sometimes it's a good chunk of the song. But, um, man, I just keep going back to like, one of these nights and oh, some of those great. No, I got you. Um, but I will tell Take you, it to the limit. we got to go there. Oh man. Well, and that's just because it's so high. He hits those notes. Yeah. But if you go <laughs> to like Woodstock, I'm telling you, if you listen to helplessly hoping or yeah. carry on yep, or Woodstock, those will melt your face because <laughs> you'll just, the harmony is such that you're like, sometimes voices just go together really well. Like two people can sing notes that should harmonize. And of course they sound nice. Mm. But there's just magic to some to the timber of two people's voices, like Simon and Garfunkel. Like sure. people can cover them; they don't sound like Simon and Garfunkel, the Everly Brothers. Like there are heart, whatever. Like any of those are amazing. But when people cover it, you know it's not them. The Beatles, as good as the Fab Four are at covering the Beatles, right. and they are effing amazing, by the way. It's not the Beatles. Like it can't be. It's just yep. those four voices were those four voices, right? So. Well, Something magical about that, which is kind of cool. You know? I would absolutely love to hear from the rhythm section on this one. Um, let us know your thoughts because this is, again, it's kind of like win-win. Uh, Agreed. You can't go wrong here, either one. And if there's another band that you think has impeccable vocal harmonization, bring it out. Let's talk about them too on another episode. 
but without further ado, what I'd love to do right now is get into a little fan mail because we are behind. So we in are. sounds from the rhythm section, Boom. we got a few to get into here. Uh, the first one comes from Ian. Now, this is some time ago, but obviously we hadn't covered mail in the uh, last episode, nor I think the one before that. No. Uh, so Ian says, big fan of the pod, but... Here we Not go. thrilled that your discussion of the 90s or the, what we call it, aughts? The, uh, or the aughts, yeah, the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. For that matter, in the last installment, so he must have been talking about the Kimmy Schmidt conundrum, yep. he failed to at least summon a cursory mention of fish. Steve, you know you're my guy, but your Destiny's Child shout-out and no acknowledgement of my boys cuts like a knife. I'm always happy to tutor you guys through the music theory and ethos of the fish from Vermont. Um, so, and then he, he makes a note here. He says, anyway, May 30th, 2020. Uh, we'll see if this actually happens. Isabel is opening for Trey Anastasio's band in upstate New York. Worlds collide. Sounds like an on assignment versus to me. And then he says, plow, Ian. <laughs> Steve, I'll let you respond. I don't know, man. I may have to simmer on that one for a little <laughs> bit before I respond. Oh, God. If you recall, Ian, my most valued friend, mm -hmm. we said it was – this is not a, a judgment on Fish or suggesting that they're not a good band or anything like that. I guess what we were trying to suggest – and I think we said this in the episode too. We might have been to get together for that episode, by the way, Mike mm. – was – whether we like them or not, we'd really try to give artists that were representative of that particular decade or genre or whatever. Now, I didn't carve out like alt because Fish was definitely its own jam band genre. And you're probably right that we missed it. But I don't know that we called out any other significant bands of that era who played that type of music. Right. I mean, am I missing sure. something? No, it's a good point. And, you know, I, I will say, uh, as we often do, and I think it adds to the show a little bit, uh, we approached it differently coming into that episode. And I tried to focus in on bands that um, I was partial towards a little bit. So I was kind of leading the witness uh, coming out of the the uh, bunker. And I'm not the biggest Fish fan. And I did try and dig in. Actually, to be honest with you, the week that you and I did uh, The Dead versus Fish... I spent more time with fish music than I ever have because I felt like I really needed to educate myself on them. And I completely appreciate the talent there, but it's not for me. It's not something I'd sit around and listen to. And the fact that we left them out, honestly, it doesn't bother me all that much. So sorry. Ian. I just think it wasn't, you know, look again, and, and I've seen them a whole bunch of times and I saw them at a three day festival on the Plattsburgh air force base. So like I've seen fish, right? Like I know them and Ian's seen them a whole bunch of times. I know, uh, that was a, a sin of omission. If you want to put it like that, because again, I think if somebody says, was fish representative of nineties music. I have a hard time with that. Agreed. I do. I think they were there and they were, they rightly deserve a spot for people to listen to them because they're fantastic. Mm. I just don't know that they were, had such broad appeal yet. They were getting there because Jerry was about to die, this type of thing. And they started to pick up a lot of steam, but that would just be my retort as well. Yep. Oh, you were finished. Will allow me to retort. That would be my, <laughs> my retort to that. All right. Uh, number two. So this one is from Paul. 
Uh, subject is Kimmy Schmidt Conundrum. He says, hello, gentlemen. Uh, have to say this is one of, if not the best episodes to date. You've come a long way in uh, merely a year's time and are still having a great effing time. Keep it up. <laughs> uh, he goes, incredibly comprehensive list of 90s through modern day. Then he says, Mike, I share your love of Isbell and I'm seeing him for the first time at Red Rocks in August. Well, awesome. I hope you get we'll, to We'll see if that happens. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. And lastly, when Frashante Mayer and Trucks played together, it was for a Rolling Stone cover. Ah, that's what it was. I remember we talked about that and I couldn't remember where yeah. I had seen it. Yeah, the that's only right. Rolling Stone old format issue I saved, he says. When I received that issue and my three favorite guitarists were on the same cover, I lost my F in mind. Thanks again for doing what you do, Paul. Paul, thank you, Paul. Sweet, Appreciate that's a that good one. Note. Thanks, man. Good stuff. And then we have another here. Okay, this one's cool. This is from Alistair here, Alistair uh, from Perth, Western Australia. That's awesome. And yeah, branching out, man. And he goes, just thought I would let you know that I went uh, to a The Darkness show in Perth in early March. Great English rock band worth a listen. Yeah, The out. Darkness is tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he says, also for a great Australian rock band, uh, have a look at uh, Violent Soho, uh, Carnival, and Dead Letter uh, Circus, I think is how you pronounce that list. <laughs> And then he says at the end, great podcast, by the way, found it by accident, looking for music theory lessons. Ha ha. I love that. That's fantastic. Isn't that fantastic? You know what wow, that wow. Says? It says that he, number one, he listened to the episode, took the time to write something and sounds like he liked it. So we found a new listener in Western well, Australia. Thank you, Alistair. Keep I'll it take up. it, man. Well done. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I know there was another note from Sabrina somewhere. I seem to have misplaced it, but I believe the context of it was that she loved the Pavarotti reference that you had made uh, a few episodes back. Do you remember any specifics on that one? Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> something to the effect of, and um, my eidetic memory is failing me right now, which mm. is an oxymoron. But uh, yeah, it said like, I loved, loved, loved that episode. Loved the Pavarotti <laughs> reference. Um, a lot of love. Ho hopefully I'm not stating, overstating that, Sabrina. Yeah, and um, no, I, I had a great, we had a great time with Chris. And, you know, I'm telling you, I know I keep saying this, but if you haven't seen that Pavarotti documentary, it, it's unbelievable mm. uh, how great it was. Ron Howard did it, the whole thing. But uh, that was good. Well, that'll do it for today. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm dying here. I'm You're back. Good. I'm alive. All right. So thank you very much, Rhythm Section. We always appreciate you dialing in, listening in rather. And uh, we, again, hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Uh, we're all getting through this together. Hopefully we're giving you something to do and listen to in your time where you can exactly. be with one another and just kind of plug your headphones in. But as always, send us some fan mail. Contact us at musicandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. And also, as always noted, uh, on the first Monday of each month, we're available on Cyber FM via their classic rock and extreme stations. So give us a listen. And with that, signing off, rock on. Until next time.